This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Pastor's kids. I went to the gym on Tuesday. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not the reaction you're looking for. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Did you stay? Well, listen to my story. <laughs> Unless Lisa would like a microphone. <laughs> this is the same gym that we've been going to for a year and a half since it opened. And it was packed. Because it was two days after New Year's. Here's the problem. I am a creature of voracious habit. Okay? I always park in the same spot when I come to church. I like to go to the same restaurant and sit in the same booth. Okay? I have the, I do, I'm same. I am boring. I am lame. I don't care. I like my same thing, which means there's my treadmill. When I go to the gym, I get on my treadmill. Okay? It's the last one on the right, right next to the windows. Okay, because I like to be distracted when I'm on the treadmill. I like to look outside. There's the door if I need a quick getaway. (laughs) And there's a bunch of little bickering biddies on my treadmill. And the one next one is a I'm like, clearly, they don't understand how this works. And I have my five-gallon water jug, okay, brand new because I need to drink more water. It's a little bit like Debbie's coffee mug, okay? It's like massive, okay? It's massive, And I've decided that maybe she just doesn't understand the rules of the game, this woman that's on my treadmill. So I decided I'll just go stand and stare at her as I drink out of my water tub. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't have my water jug. I just stared at her. (laughs) That's, that's, That's my place. That's my thing. That's, that's, that's what I do. And it was full and it was packed. But sure enough, and my son noticed this just five days later, all those people were gone. Yeah. Why? Well, someone maybe made a New Year's resolution, right? How many of you are familiar with the idea of a New Year's resolution? I have to say it someone else, you know what, I need to do a thing and I, I feel chaos in my life and I, I, I want to I wanna push, I want to make a decision and this is a great time to make a decision to do something that's flourishing or, or do something that will arrest something that's wrong. Awesome, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Beautiful thing, making those types of decisions. Here's the interesting reality. But what do you think the number one New Year's resolution is? Lose weight. Yeah, lose weight. What do you think some of the other ones are? I was curious. I looked some up from last year. Save money. Yeah, finances. I want to put more money away or get a different job, do something financially. Last year, guess what the number third resolution was? This really blew my mind. Maybe it won't to you. Not stop smoking, but that's a good one. Go on vacations? No. Save the planet. 
climate change. I'm like, oh, that's up. Okay. Let's go. It's kind of big. But yeah, I was like, oh, that's, I didn't expect to see that one. Yeah. Uh, smoking's a good one. Health, finances. I, I, I feel these things in my life and I want to push back chaos. Yeah. A week into a New Year's resolution, 75% of people are still doing it. But a month later, that number of people keeping their New Year's resolution drops down to about 64, 65%. And then six months into it, less than half of people are keeping that resolution. And unfortunately, a year later, only 10% of people that made a decision. Now, I'm not saying you do but how many of you know someone that that probably is like, yeah, that's about right. I mean, I didn't do that, but I know, yeah. Right, how sad. Because here's a good thing. Here's a good thing. I want to get more healthy or I want to pursue better employment or or maybe it's a kingdom thing. I want to go on date nights with my spouse or speak kinder to the kids, whatever it might be. These are good things, flourishing things, kingdom things. But what happens when we make a decision, a kingdom decision? So often we bump into a roadblock, a setback, a frustration. And what do most of us do when it gets hard? It's just our reality. What do we do? We quit. We just quit. I mean, how many of you know someone who said, you know what, this year I'm going to read through the Bible. Anyone know someone who's tried that before? Some of you do? You know someone. Okay. And then you're like, this is hard. These books are confusing. Like, what's the deal? Like, Shealtiel brought 5,000 bulls. Hazariah bought 6,000 sheep. 44,000 sheep. You're like, what is all this about? And then to do it the next day and the next day and the next day. And eventually you're just like, <sighs> click. Or scroll. Yeah. It's been exciting for me uh, as we as a church family launched a new habit church-wide to read scripture. We're going to read through the Bible together through the course of the year. There are multiple kingdom habits. Reading scripture is one of them. We are people of the book. That's what we do. Okay, we know Bible, we read Bible, we study Bible, we meditate on it. It's just one of the things that followers of Jesus do. He who hears these words and obey them is like a man who builds a house on a rock. We are Bible people. Hey, you guys have known that. If you've been walking with me for a while, dude, the guy likes his Bible. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and I want you to like it too. You guys have been starting to text me through. I think I've got more texts from you guys this week than I have in seven years of walking alongside of you. As you're engaging with scripture and you're reading things and you're confused and it's kind of getting into you because you know what, that's kind of what the Bible does. Some of you have been frustrated, but also some of you said, hey, this is changing things in our house. This is changing things in our marriage. I'm seeing things I've never seen before. 
I'm asking questions I've never asked before. How many of you would say this week that God has met you in your Bible reading time? That's awesome. That's awesome. Anyone want to come up and share? Amy, come on up. Absolutely. Come on up. I like the flannel. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Here you go. Right into the mic. Share your story. How's Jesus been meeting with you in your reading time? <laughs> Close your eyes. Picture them naked. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, well, first of all, I'll be honest. Um, That's good. Um, thank you for whoever came up with the ribbon idea. That's really helped me this week. Mm. Um, second, um, as any resolution, I usually am pretty rough on myself. I start out very strong, and then something, you know, happens. Um, this week, I just told myself that I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, I, I warned him. I said, it's either going to be babbling or cry. We're, we might get both. Um, so with that, I just dove into it. And then before you know it, I was in like Genesis 12. And I started reading, reading Ezra and struggled. Um, Matthew, I fell in love with again. Um, I've read Matthew many a times, but... Um, this week was a lot different. Mm -hmm. um, I was highlighting stuff. My husband and I would talk about things. It just was different. Um, um, as any infant um, believer, it's kind of what I am. I have God's plan on my life. Um, this time it's different, and I can feel it this week. And um, I'm appreciative of you pushing us. We're getting in the Bible. I've I was raised in church, but I never had anyone push it. It was one of them things you go to church, you listen to the pastor, and you go and you go home, and you just don't dig for yourself. You just take the word as it's given. So I thank you for that. I thank you for the conversations that my husband and I have had, that's and what God laid on my heart this week. So thank you. Oh, that's awesome! Praise Jesus! Praise Jesus! That's awesome. Who else? Plus, just wants to give thanks. Give God praise. You know, I'm doing this thing. I put up sail, and sure enough, he's, he's moving our faith forward. All right, come on up, Daniel. Yeah, thank you. Lisa doesn't get a shot. She already talked this morning. You can get away. There you go. Right there, right into it. There you go. Yep. Our youngest. I know, that's fun. It's so fun. That's why I won't say it. <laughs> no, come on. Yeah. Um, our youngest struggles with reading. Um, we are going to have her tested for dyslexia at school. But she has been reading the Bible with us, and she's been doing amazing, and I just can't thank you enough. Oh, praise God. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Someone else. How's God met you? And just to give him thanks, give him praise. He's the one who's doing this. Dan is pointing at someone. Dan, didn't you know that he who clucks first lays the egg? That means, <laughs> who are you pointing at? Someone can come on up. Yeah. Eric, yeah. Um, 
the long walk. <laughs> Give God praise. Right into it. Well, um, I don't know about you all, but uh, 2022 was uh, pretty bad for us. Um, uh, all I knew was I needed to reprioritize some different things. Um, I didn't make up a new New Year's resolution, um, but once we left church here, we were going to Vanessa's uh, family's Christmas party. Uh, so uh, we were driving uh, in the van to her parents' house, and she brought out the uh, reading list for um, the week, and she started reading from Genesis and then Matthew, and the kids were excited. Um, I didn't realize how much the kids really needed uh, to know more about God. Uh, so the next day, uh, on Monday, after, uh, after dinner, I pulled out my Bible and we sat down as a family and started reading. The kids almost fight over who gets to read the next, uh, uh, the next chapter. Um, there's questions, they're so involved, and I didn't realize how much they needed God. Uh, they needed to learn more about God. Uh, so um, it's, it's something that's going to happen every single night now. Um, we had one kid uh, sick this, this week, and still after he threw up, he still wanted to <laughs> uh, be involved. Uh, so it's going to happen read. every single night. Read. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Kudos for dads who are committed to washing their families in the word. Kudos to parents who are making this a priority. Okay. Jesus meets us in that space. I don't read the Bible just for the sake of reading the Bible. Uh, I don't worship just for the sake of worship so that I can feel all warm and fuzzy. All side. I do these things because they put me in a posture by which the Spirit of God will bring me closer to Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus studied the Word, read the Word, knew the Word, saturated his life in the Word. And so being like Jesus and chasing after Jesus means I need to learn how to do the same thing. But I bump into these points of resistance, do I? Uh, I want to do the right thing. And the Apostle Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, these are the things that, that I start doing. Why? How do I move forward? Should I quit? It has to do with knowing where you are. Where you are. Let me illustrate. In my bedroom, I have a comfy chair. It's mine. It's my chair. I'm allowed to have it. That helps. Maybe there's chairs that were taken away from me before. That's another story. I have a blanket. I have a pillow there. I have the place where I set my tea. I have my stack of books. It's my comfy chair. There's certain things that happen in that space. It's, it's soothing. It's comforting. I rest. It's quiet. I meditate. I pray. These are the things that happen in my comfy chair. I have a gym. What? <laughs> I go to the gym. Now, what happens at the gym? 
I get sweaty and I get stinky and things get sore, okay? At no point leaving the gym because my wife, hey, how was your workout? I said, how was your workout? She says, awesome. How was your workout? I got so tired. <laughs> and I got sweaty. And now my arms are sore and my butt hurts. I don't think this gym thing's a good idea. No, I don't do that. Why? Because of where I am. Where I am, that's expected. That should happen. You go to the gym. You should experience those things. Now, what were to happen if I was sitting in my comfy chair and those things would start to happen? I'm just sitting in my comfy chair and all of a sudden now I'm starting to sweat profusely and I'm tired and I can't move and what's my wife going to do? 911. Right? Because that shouldn't happen in that space. But if I'm in the gym there, that's, that's where that should happen. That's where I should encounter those experiences. Knowing where you are in the story of God should release you to courage. Okay? I talk about this. We talk about this all the time. Where are we in the story? A story that started in goodness. Yes. Kingdom, goodness, thriving, paradise, Eden, awesome. Quickly devolved into treason and treachery and deceit and brokenness. That saturates everything. But within that, God made a promise. I'm going to put this back together again. Embodied and emboldened in the person of Jesus Christ who came to save us and redeem us. And then release us to participate in this restoration project. We're in that space where kingdoms are colliding. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Babylon, if you want another term. And it's a, it's a war zone. And we are not wartime journalists charged to run around and take pictures and post them on Instagram and complain about how bad things are. That's not our job. We're soldiers in the trenches. Empowered with weapons of grace and goodness and kindness. Which means we will encounter resistance and we should not be surprised if we get fired at. Especially when you start picking up weapons like the word of God. Especially when you start picking up weapons as amazing and as powerful as the Holy Bible. So let's talk about this. Take out your notes. Take out your notes. And what I want to do this morning is help you understand a little bit a couple of the places where you can expect resistance because you're making a kingdom decision. Maybe it's not reading scripture. Maybe that's an active part of your life for them, but maybe it is. And you're gotten a little frustrated this week. You missed a couple days. I don't know how to keep up. I've never really read the Bible. Ezra, what's the deal? Name, bowls, name, cows, name. It's like, I don't understand any of this. And you want to put it down and you want to walk away. Well, let me, if I can, through the passages that you've read this week, kind of daisy chain some of them together to help you see places where we can expect to get resistance in our faith so that we're not surprised, so that we can go from discouraged to encouraged. Okay? So take out the note sheet. And let me just show you some things as you look at that. Uh, the note sheet is like the, the, the white colored insert that's inside your notes. 
And it has the, the key passage that we're going to be looking at today. And then some space where you can write down insights. Ryan's going to put some of the things that I would suggest to note up on the screen. You can write those down. But maybe in the course of our time, you want to write some other things down. Or maybe I reference some other passages that you want to look up later. There's a space for you to write those down. Or maybe you have a question. You're like, Paul, I don't understand what that meant. I don't understand this. This confused me. Write that down at the bottom. Then you could reach out to me, send me an email, call me. Uh, my email's in here. Uh, follow up after church and we'll help you move forward, okay? Okay, so uh, let's look at Ezra chapter four. Take out Ezra chapter four. There's Bibles located in the seats in front of you if you wanna use one of those. If you brought one, yeah. Maybe you have them on your device. Ryan will put some of the ones up on the screen for you to follow along. We're gonna get Ezra chapter four. I love it. Some of you came up to me this week and said, I've never read Ezra before. Yeah, that's one of my favorite books. Ezra is hands down my favorite Bible character. Ezra 7, some of you read it yesterday, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Seriously is. Because it says Ezra gave himself to study it, to do it, and to teach others. And I've always kind of put Ezra in front of me. He says, yeah, I want to be like Ezra. Helping people come out of exile. Ezra chapter 4. Let me give you some context to help you know what's going on and why this letter exists and what's going on in this passage, okay? History. Uh, King Solomon dies, the nation divides to Israel and Judah, okay? Different kings, different priorities. Israel degrades quickly into idolatry and assimilates some of the bad habits of those around them. And despite warning after warning after warning after warning, Assyria comes in, conquers Israel and deports them. And then that land, that region, the Assyrian king fills it full of people from other countries and places that he's conquered. So it's a little bit of hodgepodge of everything. Okay? Judah lasts a little bit longer, but still made some of the same decisions. A few more good kings than bad kings, but in the end, because of idolatry, because of adultery, because of idols, because of sin, because of rebellion, God gives them over to their sins. And a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, he comes over, conquers Jerusalem, sacks the city, destroys the temple, takes these people away. And they're there for about 70 years. 70 years living in exile. Until the Babylonian Empire crumbles and a new king rises up. And he says, hey, you guys can go back. You can go back now. Go back to your land. Go back to your city. Go back, rebuild your temple. Honor the God of that land. I've heard amazing things about him. I want you to go. I'm going to send you back. I'm going to send you back with financial backing. Uh, you raise up your own government leaders there. Hey, you go. You do this. We'll bless you. You go. You go and rebuild that temple. And so some of them make the three-month journey back to Jerusalem to begin the process of rebuilding the temple. A good thing. A godly thing. This is the center of worship. And faith, it's the pinnacle of the relationship and covenant promise with God. But you can imagine, there's been people living in the land for quite a while now who aren't too keen on people moving in. 
Imagine it this way. We've been gathering in this space for seven years, worshiping, doing ministry, seeing lives changed. It's been a phenomenal experience. Love it. Next week, anniversary, um, celebrating seven years. Imagine a new government comes in and says, you're out. You're done. You're not allowed to gather here. In fact, we're going to take all of you. We're going to deport you to a camp because we don't want you guys doing this thing anymore. You're out. And this space doesn't stay vacant. But for about 70 years, people come, people go. Maybe a bingo hall comes back in. Maybe a grocery store comes back in. Maybe a sports bar comes in. Maybe a book. Who knows the kinds of things that work its way into this space. And then 70 years later, I'm gone. Many of you are gone. But some of the younger ones might be able to. Okay? I see Dylan. I see Dawson. I see Lance. You. Hey, let's go back. I remember House on the Rock. Let's go back. Let's worship. Let's gather again. Let's do these things again. But you come in and what do you find? You already find in place systems and power structures and people that don't want to give up their turf. And you are committed to worshiping God. This is what's at play when a group of people who want to chase after God bump into resistance. Okay? Let's look at this. Ezra chapter 4. Ezra 4, I'm going to read just 1 through 4. And then out of this passage, I want us to see three different places that resistance can come from, okay? That'll help us as we move so we're not surprised. Ezra 4, 1 through 4. You follow along. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that they returned, uh, that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel... They approached Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel is the governor. Okay, he's the governor of the land. Okay? In the heads of the father's houses, they said to him, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we've been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. That's nice. They want to help. That's cool, right? Helpers. Love helpers, Right? No. But Zerubbabel, Yeshua, he's the high priest, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. We alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel. King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Well, then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. All right, so let's, let's look at this a little bit. Where are some places that I can expect resistance when I am trying to move forward with kingdom habits, my faith, following Jesus? One of the places should be very obvious. It's just my surroundings. Write that down. Just my physical surroundings. Maybe that's something that you want to write down in your insights. I should not be surprised that when I start to do kingdom things in a kingdom way, the way Jesus has commanded, my surroundings might start to push against me. Geographical, my neighbors, my boss, uh, my relatives, my town. There's already systems of power at place 
Now, here in the passage, it said that they wanted to help. Well, that's cute. But what we need to understand is one of the first tactics that evil will use is to get you to compromise. They're not going to come through the front door. They're going to try to come in the back door, which means they're going to try to get you to compromise. What do you mean? This group of people that's already in the land, Scripture gives us some background because right from the beginning of the passage, we're told they're adversaries. Well, they said they wanted to help. Yeah, watch, watch. In 2 Kings chapter 17, it's described for us who these people are, where they come from, and what their religious habit was, okay? And kudos to the spiritual leaders who dialed in on this. This is what it says. This, and this might be a passage that you want to look at later. Maybe write down in your notes in that other passages section. In, in 2 Kings 17, verse 24, it says this. Okay, the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon and Cuthah and Avah and Hamath and Sefer Avaim and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. They took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. Okay, so this group of people, they're not Israelites. They're not from Israel. They're outsiders with outside pagan customs and cultures and value systems. Okay, and they're from all over the Mediterranean. Okay, deported into this land. It's a way to kind of control things. Okay. If you keep reading in 2 Kings 17, it says this in 32 through 33. They also feared the Lord. That's cool. And appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests of high places who sacrificed them for them in the shrines of the high places. So they feared the Lord. They also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom that they'd been carried away. All right, so what's going on? They move into the land and the way that they understand deity is that a new land probably has its own God. There's a God of that land. And they've kind of heard things by talking to others. Oh, the God in this land, his name is Yahweh. Oh, cool. And here's some of the things that you do. You make sacrifices. Oh, yeah, we make sacrifices. We'll add Yahweh to our, you know, our club, our deck of playing cards. Sure. You will say, and there's some, we'll set up some, some shrines. Who wants to be a priest? I'll be a priest. That sounds cool. I mean, yeah, the school thing didn't work out. I give being a priest a shot. Let me try doing a priest thing. Awesome. You go be a priest over there, and you can be a priest over there, and that can be Yahweh's shrine, and that will be Molech's shrine, and that can be Chemosh's shrine, and that can be Jupiter's shrine. Awesome. We worship that God too. And so when the people of God come back, when the Jews come back, they're like, hey, you build a temple? We want to help you build a temple. But they do not worship God the way that God has said to be worshipped. Because what did God say? There is one God, and I am he. You don't get to pick your own priests. Priests come from here. Levites serve at the temple. There's a way that we do things. There's a way that we don't do things. And so these powers that be, our surroundings, are inviting them to compromise. Hey, let's do this, but let's do this too. 
we, we can follow this, but let's, let's all also follow this way. So the leadership, Zerubbabel, who's the governor for the people, the high priest and the elders say, no, 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 no. We build the temple. Because only, only Aaron's family can do certain things. Only Levites can do certain things. There's a way that things are to be done. We'll build the temple, okay? Thank you very much. Well, when compromise doesn't work, their second tactic is, is just to try to get them to quit. They want to get them to quit. And so as the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah. Discouraged means to be brought low. They were afraid. They made them afraid. It means they weakened them to the task at hand. In fact, it took close to 20 years. 20 years of starting and stopping, starting and stopping, eventually stopping. Kind of like a 16-year-old learning to drive a stick for the first time, right? Stop. Stop. That's what it was like to build. Until eventually, if you meet enough resistance, what do you do? You just quit. You just stop altogether. Discouraged. Courage to quit. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You've made that commitment. You've declared that allegiance. You've been baptized. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. You're at work. You have an ethic of honesty at work. There's things that you value in a way that things are to be done. But the nature of your surroundings, not everyone on the line feels that way, believes that way. Not everyone in HR believes that. Maybe your boss doesn't believe that. Maybe your neighbor doesn't believe that. Maybe your significant other doesn't. And so the invitation is to compromise. Hey, but what about this too? Yeah, I know, that's cool, but how about this too? And sometimes when that doesn't work, because the kingdom of God wants to move in to bring life and hope, you start to get hostility where you work. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You hold to a historical Christian view of marriage. The Bible says that marriage is this, and you believe that, but your culture comes along and says, yeah, but what about this too? Can't love win. What about this too? Hmm. The book says this. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You hold to a biblical understanding of manhood and womanhood. But the flow of culture says, yeah, but this too, this too. The book says this. The book says this. And when they can't get you to compromise, then they'll come at you hard enough to see if they can get you to quit. We shouldn't be surprised when our surroundings come at us to get us to compromise our faith, to lower the integrity of our faith, to compromise the purity of our testimony. And we won't compromise just to shut us down altogether. But that's just merely the fruit on the tree or the, the tangled vine that you see working its way through the garden of your life. That is fed by a deeper root, isn't it? 
And you can pull at that vine all you want. And if you don't deal with the root, it's just going to keep growing, isn't it? And you've seen that in some of your readings this week. That yes, I'm going to expect, and I can expect resistance from my surroundings, but I should also expect resistance from my spiritual enemy. Write that down. Maybe that's helpful to remember. My spiritual enemy. Some of you have been reading in Genesis, in Acts, in Matthew, through our reading program. You've been working through Genesis and you're like, uh, not all of this made it on the flannel graph growing up. <laughs> There's some, uh, like, uh, what's this old sons of God coming down having sex with women? Is that allowed to be in the Bible? Is that for real? Is that what that means? Oh, yeah. You're like, really? That's what that means? <laughs> I didn't want to say anything. No, yeah, that's exactly what that's about. In fact, all of Genesis 1 through 11, a prologue to the whole canon, if you will, is designed to help us understand three things, okay? If you're looking at the book of Genesis to teach you more than these three things, you're looking in the wrong place. It's focused on, number one, God is overall, he created everything, okay? Number two, he loves you, but you screwed it up. You need to own it. Number three, you're not the only hot mess in town. <clears throat> Meaning, there seems to be something going on below the surface and behind the veil that's perpetuating systems of evil. In Genesis 3, it's a snake that comes to Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Did he really say that? In Genesis 6, it's the sons of God that leave their ordained space as angelic beings and messengers of God to come down to corrupt humanity that lead to what Scripture calls the Nephilim, mighty men of old. That there's more at play than just what I see. There's fruit on the tree, but it's fed by a very deep, dark root. In Matthew 4, some of you read it this week. Jesus goes out into the wilderness, led by the Spirit. Awesome, I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to go camping. This sounds good. Who doesn't want to go camping? God says, time to go camping. Yes. To be tempted and confronted by the devil. And then what happens over the course of 40 days? He's fasting. He's never been so spiritually strong. And the Satan, the adversary, comes against him. A boom, boom, boom. One of them, just, just to read for you, okay? Just so we understand that this is real. In Matthew chapter 4, 8 through 10. You read it this week. In Matthew 4, 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to the devil, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, it's quoting scripture, man, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Him only shall you serve. Satan, battling spiritual forces, a spiritual enemy. You battle spiritual forces, or at least you're supposed to. Peter will describe Satan as a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour 
How many of you, if I told you, and it were true, that there is now a lion prowling in the parking lot? In fact, you've heard him roar through the course of the morning. You've seen some of the destruction that he's done to people in the area, and that very lion is now in the parking lot. Would you take it seriously? Sure you would, right? Absolutely. You've seen the blood. You've seen the carnage. You've heard him. There's a real lion in the parking lot. Maybe our safety team, some of our others, you know, we're going to band together. We're going to move people in a certain way between here and their cars. We're going we're gonna to do systems to keep people safe. We're going to be proactive in how we deal with this thing because there's a, a real lion out there and we need to deal with that. He's coming after us. Have you ever seen what a lion can do when it's hungry? Okay. But you read about it in scripture and something happens. Whether it's Hollywood cartoons, I don't know. The lion, the devil is roaring like a lion. That devil, he's a lion. That naughty devil being a lion. Don't get me, lion, devil lion. And we don't believe it for what it's actually saying. Oh, didn't you know most animals don't see the lion until it's too late? But because you can't see him, you play it off. Men, many of you, I know this. What would you do if a lion was chasing after your wife? What would you do? Try again. No, just kidding. <laughs> what would you do? You would do whatever it takes, right? If there's a lion coming after your kids, what are you going to do? Whatever it takes. And you would do that. Yeah. Was that you, Terry? Did you do that? Did you make that sound? Yeah. Who made it? Lance made that sound? Definitely. Yeah. But sure. And yet, I tell you that there is a lion, and he is hunting your wife. And there is a lion, and he is hunting your kids. And men, some of you don't do anything about it. And boy, do lions like that. When we don't do anything, the lion wins. I'm not going to be surprised when I bump into opposition as I follow after Jesus. I'm not going to be surprised when that lion sees me pick up that weapon. Because when that lion came after Jesus, what did he do? He picked up that weapon. For it says, you shall love the Lord your God and him only. My surroundings, my spiritual enemy but one that I think we really need to take seriously. And that's just myself. Where can I expect resistance? From myself. You're reading Genesis 4, some of you this week. The story of Cain and Abel. Yeah, that's flannel graph. We can do that one. The whole angel's coming down and, nope, that's a little too weird for me. But Cain and Abel, we can do that flannel graph. Okay. 
Abel brings a sacrifice. Cain brings a sacrifice. Abel's sacrifice is accepted. Cain's isn't. Abel gives the best. Cain gives some. God's like, no, you don't give some. You give your best. That's what we do. Okay, that's how we do this. You can do this. Cain, you can do this. Why are you so mad? Why are you so upset? Cain, you need to understand, sin is crouching at the door. Interesting image, isn't it? And its desire is for you. You must rule it. You must own this. You must deal with this. You must deal with the sinful corruption in your heart. You must take this seriously, that you aren't just a victim. You're part of the villain. You need to own it. You must deal with the fact that your heart doesn't want to do that which love demands of it. I don't want to go to the gym at five in the morning. I don't want to. I want to sleep in bed next to my hot wife. That's what I want to do. I don't want to some mornings get up and read scripture. It's four chapters, pastor. That's a lot. I don't want to give. I need that money to go to my car payment. I don't want to serve. I need to get the garage cleaned. And I got good tickets to the Bengals game. Are there good tickets to the Bengals game? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go Browns, right? Go Browns. Yeah, okay. You do you, man. I'm keeping my mouth shut. I'm not saying anything. I'm from Pennsylvania. Here we go. Okay. That's my heart. I must understand that my heart will resist the invitation of God. Jesus is saying, come on, I don't want to. Come on, I don't want to. I don't want to participate in life group. I don't want to participate in ministry. I don't want a habit of church attendance. I don't want a habit of reading scripture. Such is my heart. I've been following Jesus a long, long time. I struggle with this on a regular, regular basis. But you see, victims and villains don't change. Villains create chaos Victims accept chaos. It's only a hero that says, I'm going to deal with the chaos. I'm going to own this. I'm going to be a part of pushing back the darkness. I'm going to own my stuff. I'm going to live a life of repentance. I'm going to live a life of renewal. But in our story, what did they do? They were invited to compromise. They were pushed against too. And so what did they end up doing? They quit. And being passive is one of the greatest pandemics any follower of Jesus or any church will ever face. I can deal with a husband who doesn't know how to talk to his wife just because that's the way he was raised. I really struggle with working with a husband who doesn't do anything at all. I can come alongside bad behavior. It's a whole lot easier to turn a ship when it's moving. You can't turn a ship that's not moving at all. So I shouldn't be surprised. 
I'm going I'm to read scripture. I'm going to make that a priority. No, my surroundings come against me. There's spiritual forces that are hunting me to distract me. And my own heart pushes against it. And so I don't want to do anything. And seriously, Paul, are you telling me something so small can make such a big difference? That even if I read scripture, just four chapters a day, 20 minutes, are you telling me that a small thing will make a big difference? Well, that, that will transform my heart? Is that going to transform my church? Is that going to transform my community? World War II, Manhattan Project. They learned that a small thing can make a big difference. You take something as small as a neutron and you shoot it at the right molecule of uranium and it has a cascading, chain-reacting atomic effect. So much so that you just take 140 pounds of uranium, only 140 pounds, and you can destroy one of Japan's biggest cities in a second. Can something small be very powerful? Oh, yeah. Hey, guys, how many of you learned that you put a little ring on a girl's finger and it'll change your life? Oh, yeah. Right? Little things can make a big difference. Let me tell you right now. It might not look like much. But if you learn to take one brick and put it in the right place, and then the next day you take a brick and you put it in the right place, and you do that for a lifetime, you will build a temple of a heart. You'll build a temple of a church. You'll build a holy kingdom for God. Okay? One brick in the right place. So let me help you nail this down, okay? Here's just, how, how, can I, how can I do this? How can I do this? Did you see in the passage the place that the leadership had? Okay. Okay. Enemies are trying to come in the back door. Spiritual leadership steps up and says, no, 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 no. We don't compromise. We're not going to compromise. This is the how, way we do things. Everyone needs a spiritual mentor, brother, sister, spiritual father, spiritual mother, a pastor, an elder, who comes alongside with you in the journey to say, hey, let's keep doing this. No, let's not compromise. No, let's not quit. Hey, did you do your reading? Did you do your reading? Some of you started reading last night and you've already like, yeah, I, no, sorry, uh, I quit already. No, 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 let's do it. Come on, let's do it. If you don't have a life group leader or a ministry team leader or a spiritual mother or father, a mentor, I'd love to. I would love the privilege of coming alongside with you as you read scripture. Okay, reach out to me, send me a text, send me an email, use the connection card. Pastor Paul, help me build. I'll get a hold of you. We'll get, we'll get a little app going where we'll just every morning, and I, I start at 4 a.m., so guess what? Woohoo! let's do it. <laughs> you can catch up later. I'll let you wait till 4.30. Uh, you need someone that comes alongside of you and says, don't quit. Let's keep going who can answer some of the questions, who can keep you moving forward. Okay, it's called a habit loop. It's a habit loop. We need to create some cues. We need a routine, a routine that's rewarding so that it feeds that habit again. That, that, that's where this reading guide comes in, okay? If you weren't here last week, let me walk you through this, okay? So we as a church family are reading through scripture together. We're gonna read through the whole Bible together. 
Here's some insights on why we're doing this and how to go about it. But this part right here, this becomes, you tear this off, this is your little bookmark for the month of January. Okay. So each day, we're going to read four chapters. You can see, since it's the 8th, we'll start on the 8th. Don't try to catch up. Don't, don't, don't. You can if you want to, okay? But y'all will be reading 50 chapters today, and then you're going to be really mad. <laughs> so let's just start with today. Let's just start with today, okay? Start with chapter 8. So on the 8th, see the dates go right down the center, right down the center. 8th of January, that would be um, Genesis 8 and Matthew 8 and Ezra 8 and the book of Acts 8. And what this will do is this will let us get through the New Testament twice and the book of Psalms twice and the whole Old Testament. Okay? Okay? We'll do it all together. Now, some people, like you heard Eric share, like their family's doing something together. Uh, Amy talked about reading together. And so maybe you want to do that. You want to get together with your spouse or, or your family, with your kids. You read two chapters. That's what we do. So in the morning, uh, the boys, at least, we sit at the dining room table, 6.30, not 4. <laughs> We read our two chapters from the family column. And then later through the course of the day, the boys know that they need to do this, at least myself, you know, privately, we'll read the other two chapters. And then we'll just kind of check in. Hey, I did my reading. Hey, don't forget to do your reading. And it spurns questions. I love the questions I get from my sons. Do they, they're awesome. They're awesome. Maybe you'll come up with questions. But here, here's a culture. Here's a way that we're going to push back. Here's a way we're going to do things a little bit different. You read in Matthew 7. Okay, Matthew 7, Jesus said this, he who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like what? A man who built his house on the rock. Seven years ago, I preached that passage to a little group of people in a small house in P. Hill. And it became our namesake. And what have we learned that as I build my house, one brick at a time, and as you build your house, one brick at a time, your house and my house and your house and your house and your house, we've said this from the beginning, our house on a rock will become a city on a hill where we shine with the hope and the love in the light of Jesus Christ. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today you want to send us a short note, a member of our Hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus'